Hello, everyone. This is another episode of the Chatterbox Video Game Radio Show. My name's Alon. And I'm Ara. And way in the back there, we've got Tony. Tony, shout out the mic. Hello. I don't know if you could hear that, but, but he's here, uh, busily working. Now, for the last two weeks, we've talked a lot about uh, the exploits of, of Ara and Tony. And we've had some people ask about it. Do we want to discuss it? Do we want to give any updates to the listeners? Well, we're kind of doing like an early recording because you're skipping town involuntarily. We do. So there hasn't been a lot of time between now so and the there, last episode. Yeah, there hasn't been been many developments. But um, yeah, you know what? I went I went shopping the other day, and um, there was this there was this really beautiful lady who was helping me, and I totally closed her, and she was totally into me, but uh, her number didn't work. Yeah, that happens sometimes. Sometimes. Now, well, it's happened, like, all the time so far. Now, um, now but, uh, didn't work. Does that just mean, like, busy signal, someone else's phone? Well, it was what just, you no, know, I don't remember what the message was, but it was just one of those, like, this line's not in service. Oh. But, you know, I've I've gotten that repeatedly before, so I'm used to it. I but, wonder if girls all have a standby, this number doesn't work anymore, no, because they've all changed but, well, their no, number. No no, 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 check this out. But... Like I've, I'm really starting to develop a feeling for like when I feel like I'm going to get a fake number and whether I feel like it's going to be a solid close. And this one didn't actually make any sense to me because, I mean, she was totally into it. She was down. You know, like this was this was actually the solidest close I've had yet. Now, does she have so, your number as well? No. So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to find out. If it's actually, if she made a mistake or not. Because I don't believe that she did it on purpose. Okay. You know, so I'm not going to take no for an answer on this one. All right. Um, but yeah, I mean, there hasn't been, has been a lot of time, so. So next not episode. Much, not much new news. Maybe the next one. Next episode will have like a week and a half. Yeah. Well, Tony's leaving at the end of this month, so. Time's almost up. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm sure that they're, they're itching for new info. I got to say, though, in this whole month, you know, I've, I've purchased a lot of new clothing, and I'm really starting to enjoy the, uh, the nice clothing lifestyle. I'm, I'm glad to hear that, man. And um, black people, black men love my clothes. That's really interesting to hear. Is, is there just a certain style that, that you uh, share? I don't, I don't know, but I've, I've gotten many, many positive comments from black gentlemen. Uh, about my attire. Are these gentlemen also trying to pick you up? They're not trying to pick me up. No, they're no. just uh, they just like my style, which is cool. All right. Well, just, just like Tony said, if someone if you're not being complimented on your style, then you don't have good style. I I hadn't heard that, but that's I guess that's something to live by. Yeah. Yeah. And I did I did have these there's these badass shoes that were like the first day I wore them like I got a lot of looks from girls from them so that was pretty cool. Is there is there a store of choice for you? No, not really. You know, I mean, we've been, we've been to a bunch of different stores. All right. But it's it's funny because I I don't even have any explanation for why I'm suddenly now, like, not only, like, agreeable to fashion, but interested in fashion now. Dude, it, it happens to us all. I, well, one one, one day we make... I mean, whenever... If you... But I got to say, I got to say, though, the... One of the huge reasons why is that, like, now I'm, like, I'm in decent shape now, you know. I mean, 10 years ago, I used to be a big, fat slob, you know, 225 pounds, no muscle. And Now I mean, you look to me like just one giant bulging muscle, actually. That's, that that uh, came out totally wrong, but well, you understand thank, my well, point. Thank you. Well, I appreciate <laughs> that very much. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, one of the other reasons is because, like, you know, when, when I put on these clothes, I actually feel really good in them. And I know that I look good in them, whereas if I was much fatter, I may not get the same feeling. That's definitely true. I so, have I um, purchased a lot of clothes in the last couple of years, yeah. and I feel good wearing them, although I'm scrawny by any measure compared to you. <laughs> but, but you know, yeah, well, it, it works for me. You've got a nice style going on, too. So it's like... Um, yeah, the only other the only catch now is that really like now I just I can't get fat anymore because <laughs> then my clothes would look like shit again. Well, or I would look like shit in them again. That's really so. just a good rule to live by, regardless of the clothing situation. Yeah, well, now there's just another reason for me to not get fat again. Yeah. So it's all good all around. All right, so tip to the listeners: if you're uh, if you're feeling down, get some new clothes, spiff yourself up, and look at yourself in the mirror, and you'll feel good. Maybe it works for me. Yeah. But then again, I really like looking at myself. 
It's so. good times. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay. So we definitely have a lot to cover, even though we haven't. We only just did a show like two days ago. Well, that's a good <clears> sign, <throat> isn't it? Yeah. There's a lot of stuff we haven't covered lately. And I was thinking on the way here tonight about the fact that we are literally one month away, less even, uh, from the Wii U launch. And this, by the way, brings up nothing but aggravation for me because of what we've discussed in the past about how the Wii U launch is totally screwing with me, basically. And why is it screwing with you? Because of the fact that they have two different versions at launch, and I only want the good one, and they are totally underproducing the good one. Oh, right. And by that, I mean the the premium unit for 350. Uh, so well, you know, I, life's hard, man. Sometimes you have to make really tough choices. I'm gonna have to like drive out to the boonies to some 24-hour Walmart that hopefully a lot of other people won't be at, and then just stay there the whole goddamn day. So you're pretty much dead set on getting this on launch day. You oh seem, yeah, you seem to be very excited about these situations. Yeah, but I will be pissed off if I wait all day and then don't get the good one. Well, sure, because then I'm not gonna buy it. I'm just I will have waited all that time and not gotten anything. Could you could you ever stomach to like actually like wait a week? Oh yeah, no, I could wait a week. That would be no problem. But you're not going to be able to get a premium unit until February. This is this is my very intelligent estimate. Well, Nintendo has been want for doing those sorts of things, haven't yeah. they? The the problem is that and this has been true since basically the Super Nintendo when people were pre-ordering systems or at least knowing when they were coming out. Yeah. Like the opening day is the only day you know they're they're going to be there. And this actually this doesn't necessarily hold true anymore. Now they seem to be doing multiple launches where companies will say, we'll have more on whatever day, come wait on that day. And so that leaves me with a little bit of hope. But still, they never know which ones they're getting. They don't know if they're getting the you know the premium or not. And they certainly don't take pre-orders to guarantee it. After the first day, it's just no more pre-ordering. You just have to come in and right. hope that you get them. And that's ridiculous. It's not. It means that I won't be able to get it for months. I mean, I remember what happened with the Xbox 360. That was a mess. And... I don't want to deal with that again. Um, I mean, that was a mess just because Target is horrible. But uh, in general, the way that Nintendo is handling this, the fact that they closed out pre-orders for the premium unit in like the first 24 hours is strong indication that they're not producing them. And uh, anyway, very upset. Yeah. Well, they, they love planning shortages, as we all know. Yeah. But I'm willing to bet the white one, the, the non-premium, is going to be available. At least if I wait all day at Walmart or somewhere... I'll definitely be able to get one, and then I'll just get it so I could sell it because I don't want to open it and have the wrong one. Oh uh, well, fair enough. It's personal strife. But in other Wii U news, uh, I just read. I don't. I don't know where this information actually comes from, but I read it from Joystick. I guess do they have a source somewhere? No source. Um, do you remember how the Wii made it really hard to play games with your friends? And also, like, the DS did that, too. I don't know if the 3DS is any better. But basically, Nintendo doesn't like letting people talk to other people You mean, online. like, this whole, like, like friending business on, on the console and yeah. so on? They basically, this, this fear that pedophiles might try to talk to you has ruined their ability to make it convenient to do anything. The, uh, the Wii U pad, meaning the primary controller for the Wii U, it has a microphone built in. Right. And it, it it detects pedophiles' voices and yes. it automatically cancels out anything if you say it in the pedophile intonation way. And it, way. it does that if you're willing to assume that every single person is a pedophile because it won't allow you to conduct voice chat through that controller. At least not voice chat during games, right? They're going to have this whole like online suite thing where you can connect with people and it might be different in that case, at least based on their promotional video, which right. showed the person not using a headset but talking to someone. But according to Joystick anyway, you have to plug a headset in to the Wii Pad's headset port and use that. And it's going to use some like third-party thing where you don't... It's not built into everything. Like not every game has voice support it's not like the xbox 360 where there's this constant voice support app that can just run over anything and the headset won't fit on your head if you're over 27 that's also probably true but who knows um basically it's going to be a pain in the butt to do and then check this out the pro controller which is basically an xbox 360 controller with the the d-pad swapped out with the analog stick on the left side yeah i don't know if we've talked about that in the past anyway it's a very good controller it doesn't have a headset port in it at all so if you want to play a game like Call of Duty Black Ops 2, which will support the game, um, 
I think. Yeah, it will. Um, you're going to have to have the Wii pad near you, a headset plugged into the Wii U pad while you're using the Pro Controller, which is separately, you know, connected to the, well, not physically connected, but wirelessly connected to the Wii U. So they're just doing, it, it's almost like they set out to intentionally make things difficult. And I'm, I don't know why. I, I just wonder if, all right, so you know Apple. Apple tries to make things make things easy for their customers. They Yeah, they they've kind of have this like Disneyland philosophy too, right? Like they want to have like a created like a very protected space. Yeah, and they say we want to go into this we want to begin using this technology or enter this, you know, type of market, meaning we want to make our own microchips. So they buy up people or hire people who know how to do that stuff, right? Like they got I read about a lot of Apple crap and they hire all sorts of people to do what they want. They hired guys who are good at retail to run their retail stores and they hire guys who know how to make microchips and they hire people who know how to do everything who have experience in those areas so that they can also be good in those areas. And it seems like Nintendo is just watching everybody else for almost the last 10 years do things right and just be like, you know what? Nah, we'll try to figure it out. We'll probably do it wrong and we'll ruin the entire generation. Not generation of people, but the the console generation that they produce. It's still messed up. And this is like the third time they've tried because there was the Wii and like the mobile during the Wii. So the DS and the 3DS and the Wii U. And there's don't, I don't know what has gotten into them. Well, it's the Nintendo way. I mean, you got to think of all those kids. I I don't know why. All those young, impressionable kids, you don't want to leave. Like, is this a bigger issue in Japan? I know they love kids. Maybe. I mean, you know, I just feel like it's all coming from... I'm trying to be careful. We'll be right back. Chatterboxers, how much do you love Amazon.com? Since you're like me, the answer is a lot. And since you love Chatterbox almost as much, here's what I want you to do. Next time you get a new game, a pair of socks, downloadable MP3, anything really, go to helpchatterbox.com. It takes you to Amazon, but when you buy something, we get a piece of the action. That's good for us, and Amazon feels good because you didn't buy it from GameStop. Helpchatterbox.com. Remember it. Bookmark it. Tattoo it backwards on your forehead. And yes, all I'm asking you to do is buy stuff you are already going to buy. Just do it at helpchatterbox.com. And we are back. You're listening to Chatterbox Video Game Radio with Ara, who doesn't have a totally destroyed throat at all. You, you know, you don't actually sound as bad as you think you sound. Yeah. Well, I don't know how bad I sound. I probably sound like before really sexy, but yeah. it's uh, my throat's not feeling really sexy. I can right tell now. that you don't feel well, but I, I can tell you you don't sound all that bad. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I, however, am feeling much better after being sick. <laughs> Last week, so that's good. Uh, anyway, uh, listener, I want you to go to chatterboxgameshow.com. That's where you can find a way to email the two of us. If you want to leave us a message, 480-4GAME21, or... Or if alphabet characters uh, killed your parents when you were very young and you witnessed it, uh, you can dial 480-442-6321. Also another option. So... Um, one last thing before we, we continue. We have a sponsor. They are the University of Advancing Technology, and their website is uat.edu. Hope you'll visit them. Now, what else do we have to go over today? We just talked about Nintendo being kind of, I don't know, just dumb about how, they, how they're handling online. I still don't get it. Yeah, so speaking of online, um, you may be well aware that uh, Microsoft has announced that you're going to be able to use the Internet Explorer on Xbox. Yeah, the fall update that, that they do every year, at least this year, is going to introduce a web browser, which people have been waiting for since it launched. Yeah, so this is really funny because apparently um, the uh, popular website, YouPorn, it is quite popular. Has, has issued a press release announcing their availability on the Xbox. Now, make no mistake, right? You know, I'm sure Microsoft would love to distance themselves from this as much as possible at every turn. 
right? It's not like Microsoft is like providing explicit support for uPorn. But just because they got a web browser apparently now, uPorn, you can get to it, right? So they've uh, apparently they have a crack marketing team to recognize opportunities and trends and um yeah, I don't know. I just think it's funny. Um I wonder if Microsoft's actually going to do anything about it. I wonder if they would actually filter like known porn sites or whatever, or if it's just going to be a free-for-all. The problem is if they tried, then it would just be cat and mouse. Why even waste their time? Well, yeah, that's true. They're just going to make it a parental-controlled option where you can – this is my guess, right? They they can restrict Internet Explorer or not. Sure. Right. And the Uh, other question is are people actually going to be browsing the Xbox for you porn? Yeah, well, what's actually funnier about that is, you know, uPorn has to make money in some way. And uh, the way they make money is through advertising and affiliate relationships. So, like, if you click on some girly image link that goes to some other page where you sign up for videos or to watch, you know, whatever, get the full movie here or something like that. Right. um, You have to go through that process and enter your credit card and all that stuff. And it's a real pain in the ass to do that with a console because usually they don't accept keyboards and uh, although they have little touch pads, right? But nobody really has those things except me and like a few other people. Um, I, I wonder if as someone who advertises on YouPorn, if I would want to say, you know what? I don't want to pay you for any advertising that hits an Xbox browser. I'd be like, don't just don't display my ad if the person's using, using an Xbox because it'd be a waste and then that would actually hurt you porn. Uh, so you know some of those those scammy things like they don't even need your personal information. They just make some cash just off clicking. You know, so those would still Well, be yeah, but one. but those people need to make money. Right? So you porn can make all sorts of money just with the clicks. But the the people who are doing the advertising then you're supposed to sign up for right, them, right? right? And what if their website doesn't work on the Xbox, right? Or what if whatever they're selling is just a pain to do? through a controller. Right. That's so, why I would uh, just say, hey, you porn, I'm not so hot on the fact that you're you're advertising that you're going to be on the Xbox. So for anyone, uh, any of one of our listeners who has no shame, um, you can tell us if you start using you porn because I'm kind of curious if anyone is going to be using you what, porn. I tell you what, I will definitely go give it a shot. You're going to give it a how, demo? How give it performs. Give it a Boy Scout try. I remember back in the day before when Hulu was just a web app and people would used the PS3 to run Hulu, and it ran poorly, but it ran, and then eventually they turned it off, and then they got the app. Anyway, um, people were upset with the poor performance of of the video in the browser. So I'm curious how well video is going to run in Internet Explorer on the Xbox 360, and if uPorn is perhaps doing something special to encode their videos to make sure that they run well on the Xbox. Eh, Probably not. Anyway, okay, so I want to move on to something less pornographic, as hard as, is that, as hard as that may be to believe. Yeah. Um, so I feel supremely vindicated because uh, a Sony executive in an interview recently has basically now admitted, uh, hey, this 3D shit that we're trying to do, it's not working out too good. We're probably going to forget about it for a while. So I had read a little bit about that too, but did they straight up say that they're just not going to bother with it anymore? Well, Eurogamer did a, an interview with the um, the guy in charge in Sony Computer Entertainment UK, Fergal Gara. And I'll just read to you what he said, right? So they're asking him about 3D gaming. And he goes, in, in pure CEO style, consumers decide how relevant it is. It's fair to say consumers have decided, it, it being the 3D video games it's not hugely important at this time it's a capability we've got it may have a bigger life further down the line it's great that we can do it it doesn't seem to be the most powerful thing at the moment so you've seen us shift our effort onto fresh and exciting ip so i'm just really happy that um all of us consumers as a culture have not bought into the 3D Kool-Aid because it's it was I mean it really seemed like a hard sell for me the whole time you know they're trying to like basically just stuff this down our throats and uh, and we didn't buy it you know because it's not that interesting and yeah. it's expensive what and you got to wear retarded glasses what was funny about that though is that 
you know, it's, I think in the opinion of the consumer, it's a small, a very small value add, but it's got a high hassle and high price associated with it. Yes. And that's, that's the math that for some reason, and I can't fathom why, uh, the executives just didn't do. They didn't realize like it really just doesn't do much for people. I don't know why they're going to care, except that it's like a little bit of a fad. Well, you you know what I think this all stemmed from. I think it all stemmed from the the TV industry, in in their absence of like new and awesome technologies to force consumers or to convince them to buy more product. Because everyone's got a TV, you know, everyone's got to have a TV, but you don't have to have. Usually, you don't have a reason. To buy a TV more than like what? Once every like 10 years or maybe five years? You know, 10 for the extra frugal people, right? Um, and like I, I find this phenomenon, right? Like they'll – like industry will try to basically like give the consumers a reason to buy a product more frequently, right? So they can turn over their product better. And, and you know, I don't know what's been going on with TV sales. I guess maybe they've been, like, languishing or something. But there's only, like – it's funny to me. Like, there's only, there's only so many fucking TVs consumers can buy, you know? And they're trying to, like – they're trying to push the envelope, right? I mean, I guess this is truly, you know, the American corporate way. It's like no matter how much you're selling, even if you're making profit, right, if it's less money than you made last year, it's like, oh, what happened to this momentum? we got to think of a reason – to carry this momentum forward. That's why I think that a lot of, um, you know, they're saying about the video game retail industry right now, right? They're like, oh, it's dying. Oh, it's tanking. Oh, we're like making so little money, right? If you look at the numbers, okay, we're making, like this year we're on track to make about as much as the video game industry made, uh, and I'm talking just console stuff, around like 2006, okay? Now, 2006 was a profitable year. 2005 was a profitable year. You know, video games always in, in the aggregate at least make money. You know, it's just that we've had, in my opinion, this fluke, like kind of like a bubble because, you know, we hit, Guitar Hero hit, you know, a few of these like super big blockbusters that lasted through like multiple years hit, right? And now they're finally fizzling out. And it's like, okay, yeah, you know what? Sales are down. Okay, sales are back to like 2006 levels. But if we didn't have all of this and we just steadily like stayed flat or slightly went up, like nobody would be nobody would be calling what's happening to the industry a disaster. Now it's being framed as a disaster just because we don't have the same momentum fiscally that we used to. Well, I th- I think part of the reason anyone would would verse it as a disaster, and, and I have not heard that, but it's probably because they've seen this increase, and so they've started devoting more resources to yeah, things. Well, that's, so their costs it's, have it's gone all, up. It's all like it's it's like just like every time, you know, it's the same fucking short sighted thing where it's like, oh, we're making this much money now. This is the new baseline. Now, now it's ex- expected, right? So just like you said, right, we're going to spend more money because we're making more money. And nobody, for some reason, like, nobody seems to think that, oh, um, you know, maybe we're making actually way more money than, like, we would normally, and it's kind of a fluke, and we should be prepared for maybe a few years that are a little bit leaner, you know? No, it's just everything's always couched in these really extreme terms, like, oh, we're making money, and then, okay, now this is normal now, now we're not making as much money, so now it's a disaster, now it's terrible, now the industry is dying. Like, the industry is not dying. You know, it's yeah. just, it's all relative. Like right. 2006 was six years. It wasn't really that long ago. Yeah. Now with, I mean, we started, started this by talking about televisions and there was a, a reason for the giant search surge, excuse me, in TV sales in the last decade or so. Cause there was that transition to a new technology of HD right. and, and, and flat and, and all that. And TVs like, you know, they're way lighter. So it's, they're easier to buy. They're harder to, they're easier to, yeah. to move around. You don't have to deal with those tubes anymore. But, but with the 3d stuff, you're right. Like they are trying to pack on this new thing to give people another reason to buy TVs, and it it just wasn't. It's not compelling, like HD and thin. Yeah, and Sony. I mean, Sony's actually been like, I'm kind of like impressed at how like heavy handed they've been at like trying to push new technology. I mean, you remember Betamax, right? They like they. I they, mean, I I don't. I mean, I know what it is, but I was I'm a little bit too young to remember. Yeah, the war. Yeah. VHS Betamax war. Well, that was a relentless war, and they, they pushed that until uh, it was really obvious that you weren't getting anything out of it. Yeah. 
to me, Mario. You're listening to Chatterbox Video Game Radio. It's a number one. Okay, back again, not talking about 3D TVs anymore. Oh, I got to tell you, I would like to get a 120 hertz TV. You have a fancy one, and I I bought too early, and I'm stuck with 60 hertz. Press you pay for living on the edge, my friend. Yeah. Early it's adopter. A, it's a bummer. Anyway, uh, new topic. I read a while ago about this. Um, well, a while ago for me is anything more than a day ago. Um you know what a game jam is? Yeah, this is those things where um, a bunch of hardcore game developer people get together and basically just work on a game for 24 hours or 48 hours straight. Yes. Technically speaking, I don't know that the time limit is necessary for the game jam. Right? So it doesn't have to be one weekend or one day, but usually that is what we hear about, right? That's people right. making a game within a day or something. Right. Um, or in a competition style where everybody gets together, makes a game, and then gets judged sure, sure. in a short time. Uh, the one we're going to talk about here uh, is actually going to be for about a week long. Um, and and i got to say, in the last few months, since we went rogue podcast only, we uh, I've had to add the explicit tag to the podcast. Because we're really explicit. Yeah. I mean, I, I prefer not to be. I prefer to limit the cursing just, you know, to feel a little bit more professional. But um, well, now now that we have an explicit tag, um, let me just say, uh, motherfuck, shit, fuck, bitch. Yes, thank you for cutting down our audience. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I try to limit it, but I'm going to have to use the word fuck talking about this because the game jam that we're discussing is called Fuck This Jam, and its website is fuckthisjam.com, and they're not talking about jelly. It's thank uh, God. Yeah. So Fuck This Jam is the game jam where developers create games for genres that they either dislike or are unfamiliar with. Okay, so this is like this is a funny premise because I can't really imagine that anyone would actually spend time working on something that they truly dislike. I think that I think what everyone's going to do if it hasn't already happened yet is they're just going to they're going to choose the uh, I'm going to do something I'm unfamiliar with. Rather yeah. than I'm going to work in a space that I dislike. Because I, I don't think anybody would really do that. I agree with you. The The quote here is uh, a genre they either hate or are in utter ignorance of. Which, that actually seems exciting. See, it's, it's interesting to work on something that is new. Yeah. It is not fun to work on something that you just don't like. So I, I agree completely that they will choose the second path. It's a nice cover story, though. I mean... Get your attention. So, so have you ever worked in, in sort of a jam session? I've never actually done one of those, no. I mean, it's, it's because I spend so much time actually developing games that the, the prospect of doing it for fun in a really intense period of a day or two, that's like my normal job. <laughs> so it's like I don't want to do that anymore on the weekends. Okay. You know? And, hey, you know what? So for the ones who... who normally develop games and do game jams too and and i know there are quite a few um i mean kudos to all you guys but uh okay so that's a bit too much for me personally so let me ask you ask you some questions here as as the game developer that you are or game designer like is there a term that you you prefer to use or not use you know it's funny because i i used to just call myself a designer but um one time one of my creative directors he framed it really, really nicely. You know, he, he said that he prefers to use the term developer because, um, I mean, it depends on, of course, what you are, right? But, you know, a designer just designs, right? But if, you, if you're truly a developer, what that means is that you're, you're really involved in all aspects of creating a game. And you really, know, you really know how to put together a game from start to finish, you know? You then, then if you know how to do that, you can truly call yourself a developer, uh, if you're just like an artist, right, then you just kind of – you just make some art. You know, that doesn't mean that you can, um, you know, program a game if it came down to it. It doesn't mean that you can, you know, you're necessarily well-versed in, in design. Okay, so – So it's a difference between basically calling yourself just a specialist or basically one who knows how to do the whole thing. So how many years have you been developing? 
So, I mean, I guess it's been since like 04. Okay. So we're right. approaching a decade, we'll say about yeah, eight it's years. Getting close to it, huh? And what genres have you worked in? Pretty much. I haven't worked in sports on purpose. I'd never want to make a sports game. I would you came act- close to working on wrestling once, didn't you? Uh, yeah. Okay, so I lied. If, if, you're, if wrestling is a sport, then I've told totally <laughs> yeah. um, But, you know, okay. I, that, wasn't, that wasn't obviously my project of choice, you know. And that one um, never released, right? Yeah, that was kind of a big nightmare project. Never came out. Um, but, you know, the other, I mean, other ones that I truly haven't worked on, like I've never done a, an RPG. I don't think I'd ever want to. I'd never worked on like a turn-based game. I don't think I'd want to ever do that actually either. Okay, so let's roll through. You, you've done first person because the first project you had was working in Unreal, right? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I covered that space. I've worked on racing games. I've worked on action games. Action games are really... You mean like, like Red like, Planet with the shooter? Say what? Are you considering Red Planet right now? Red Star. Red Star, excuse me. Did I say Red Planet? You totally Oops. said Red Planet. Sorry, Red Star. The Red Star, to be exact. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's just like, you know, I mean, that was like a beat-em-up game slash shooting game slash action game. You know, you can call it an action game. You know, I've, I've worked on platforming games. Um, haven't spent a lot of time working on puzzle games, but that's... Um, and you also... You know, it's not something that I'm, like, morally against or anything. How much can we talk about your mobile development? Yeah, actually, there was, I mean, there was a bunch of mobile games I worked on, too, you know? Okay. So, you've covered a lot of spaces. It's funny, actually, because I did work on this, like, Big Brother game. It's, it was, it's kind of has, like, RPG-ish overtones, you know? But it's not like, it's not like a JRPG game. It's, it's more like, mm, it's hard to really frame, actually, you know? But let's just say it has overtones. When we let's say Big Brother, we're talking about the licensed, like, Big Brother NBC. Yeah, so I was ABC, actually... I don't know which channel it is. I mean, if anybody listening, there's probably a 1 in 10 chance that one of you have played it. It was that popular? But... Or are you trying to say it's not popular? I'm trying to say it's not popular. I'm going to go with more like one in a thousand chance. Maybe, maybe. But, um, yeah, it's like it was It was the Big Brother, like the TV show. It was the Big Brother game for mobile, right? And I was actually lead design on that project. That was one of the first projects I was the lead design So did, on. did someone like give you the design idea and say, here, like flesh this out? Or did you have to, did they just give you the license and say, figure out how to make a game out of it? Well, I mean, I was working with, you know, I was working with somebody else who was basically functioning as the producer, right? So, you know, he he kind of like gave me what the expectations were, you know. Cuz I I think about that game from the publisher and then and I kind of like I was like, "All right, well, let's let's see how we can make this work, you know, because your your hands are really tied in a mobile space. There's not much you can do." Well, they're they're also tied when you're working on a Big Brother game, <laughs> right? Yeah, well the thing is is that I think I think that we were relatively free to do whatever we wanted as long as we um gave a characteristic product, which I think I believe that we did, right? My pro- I think about that. Like, if I was tasked with making that game, and I just, I can't even begin to consider how you could make a game based off of that franchise that would be in any way interesting. I mean, the well, TV show isn't interesting to begin with. Well, it's up to you to decide whether you feel like the game is actually interesting. I mean, or how not, do you make but... reality TV into a fun game? Well, here's what we did, right? Um, you know, we had like. Uh, Basically, we, we kind of it's, it's a simulation of like the the season, the TV show season, right? And you start out as like you're one of like the people in the house, right? And all the other characters are like simulated. So, are you trying to do things that increase like the your your score with the public? Right. Well, or with well the other what players? I did was um, what I basically did in that game was that there was you know every every simulated character had like a certain disposition towards you. Right, and they 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 all kind of had like the, their algorithm. So they would like certain ones would like hang out in certain rooms. Like each each character would always be in a certain room at a certain time, right? And so depending on like what you decided to do, you could affect their disposition towards you. So you could do things that, for example, would make them like you more, or you could do things that would make them hate you more. And they would also do things to each other that would affect their disposition towards each other, right? Like. If there was, you know, like every, every, so this was kind of turn-based, right? So 
I kind of this is the only exception to what I said before about me having not worked on turn-based games, you know. So like every turn was like a period of day, you know, like afternoon, like like a 3-hour period of day, right? So like if there were two characters hanging out in a room and they had like really good affinity towards one of the, one of them, uh if one of them moved out of the room, then then like the other one would be like a lot more likely to follow them into the whatever other room they went into, right? And every time, you know, you you could spend, like, basically, like, a few turns going and talking to them. And so you couldn't, you couldn't like, affect everything at every time because every, every season had a limited amount of time with which you could actually influence the other characters in the house, you know. And so you could do things like, gosh, I mean, I'm just, like, I'm, this was, like, years ago. This was, like, 2008 or 9 when I worked on this. Maybe 9. Actually, maybe 10. Anyway. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, you would... You had you had a limited number of of steps to, of turns to use to basically like get the people that you thought you needed to like you by the end of the week or like you enough by the end of the week you know so you try to do things to get them to like you you always had like a menu of things to do or any of the options like get naked or show them whatever like because that's like what do you the, think that's like the simple option yeah what do you think like flash them no 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 I don't think that I don't think that would have flew. As okay, because this has got to be this has got to be for general like I'm just, audiences. Like, not only does this sound super boring, like you're also you're dealing with a game that is just conversation between people. Yeah, well, there were there were other parts to it. Like, this wasn't the whole thing. Like, we also simulated a lot of the games that they played. Right. So basically, what happened was we made we made action mini games that were actually based on the actual as far as we could go. Anyway, so you had to actually watch a lot of episodes of this horrible. Oh, I program. had to watch the whole season. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. Whew. Sorry, buddy. I've had worse. <laughs> Trust me. All right. Well, I was actually kind of getting into it by the end, so go figure. Well, you know, that sounds like an, a very least interesting experience to have to go through that. And so I feel like you doing that is kind of like this idea. It, it was kind of. Of, of F this jam because it's working on something that you probably would not want to be working on otherwise. Yeah. Well, the other thing, too, is that, like, you know, a lot of times you don't get to pick the project you're on. And so you try and find some way to extract enjoyment or you try, try to find one as, some aspect of what the product is. I mean, like, I worked on a wrestling game for two years, for God's sakes. Two years? Yeah, it was a, yeah, it was, it was a longer <laughs> project than that, but I was on it for two years. And it never even came out? No, it, it, it didn't come oh. at all. Wow. Me and 80 other people. <laughs> so. All right, well, we'll be right back. Are you going to find a master of science program in technology that creates thinkers who understand how business works and how to apply the technology? Where else are you going to discover a graduate degree in technology that is customized to meet your objectives? Where else in the Valley, on campus or online, can you study at the only private university that gives you the opportunity to focus in specialized areas like network security, artificial life programming, and game studies, as well as technology management? Where else? Where else but the University of Advancing Technology? UAT's graduate technology program is accelerated. It combines business with technology. It offers the flexibility to adapt quickly to changes that come in high-tech fields. Feed your brain. Lead. Manage. You won't find this innovative environment anywhere else. UAT, the select private university where you'll be fully immersed in technology. The experience is unrivaled. Click UAT.edu. That's UAT.edu. And we're back. You're listening to Chatterbox Video Game Radio. Still sponsored by the University of Advanced Technology, whose website is UAT.edu. And still sponsored by Ara's Unnaturally Horse Voice. Yes, that as well. All right, so we've covered a lot of things this episode, but we still have more. Yeah, so there's uh, there's something a bit on my mind I want to talk about. There was this piece on Gamma Sutra maybe about a week or so ago, and um, it's talking about there's this guy, um, this developer named uh, Bennett Foddy, right? He's he's made uh, some games called Quop, Gurp, and Clop. Okay. 
Those are games I have not heard of. You may or may not uh, be familiar with his repertoire. Uh, anyway, he, he gave a talk at, at uh, this, this past Indiecade, and he basically talked about what is good about making your players suffer. And I'm, I'm just going to read to you the gist of it. Um, so the stuff that, that, that I have comment on, he goes, it makes success matter if they're suffering in the game. If you get to the end, you feel like this huge weight has been lifted. Thus, he said, uh, this talk is a love letter to games that put you through hell just for the sake of it because we enjoy the suffering itself. And this really kind of, uh, this drew my attention because, you know, you've heard me talk a lot of times about how it's, it's, you know, if there's a possibility for failure... And giving people room to fail and actually, like, having them fail is really good, right? Because without failure, there's no meaningful success. But I really feel like he's he's conflating this idea with suffering. And I really feel like he's taking it to an absurd extreme because uh, he's not the only one who thinks this way. I think other people think this way, too. Uh, people who like really, really hard games or gain, gain great satisfaction from hard games. And it's almost like they're they're saying that like well you know you if, like the more suffering the more the game makes you suffer when you fail the greater the reward is you know and so can can we try to define this a little bit before we move on so you say the more it makes you suffer when you fail so does that mean like taking a lot away from you when you die so that can be one way right I or mean, is it just or are we just talking about making things difficult in the first place well. Let's okay. Let's so let's come up with a few examples, right? So, you know, like Demon Souls, Dark Souls, like those are games that are like laden with suffering, right? Super but, Meat Boy. Um. Yeah, maybe Super Meat Boy too, to an extent. Last you know? level of. Uh, yeah, Rayman, Ray- Origins. Rayman Origins. Yeah, I mean, you suffered through that. Did, did we ever talk about that amazing run that I had? We haven't, but I'm glad you played the last secret level of that game because uh, I was like. It's going to take a lot to motivate me to actually play this after I played through the rest of it. Yeah. And, um, and like, yeah, you just got so far that, I mean, I guess you went through, like, you went past the point of no returns. It's like, all right, we got to finish it now. Right. And I said, I said to us, we got to finish it knowing full well that I was just watching you the whole time. <laughs> so, so that was pleasant for me, um, and, and very uncharacteristic of me. Right. And the, the thing is, like, I, I think a suffering game is a kind of game where, um, it's not just difficult, right? But it's just it's difficult in an unfair way, and I think that the the conflation that most people make is that they confuse suffering for um, making a, a victory meaningful. And I, do, to that end, I don't think that you have to have uh, punishment on the level of causing suffering in order. Like that's not the only way to make success meaningful. It is a way, certainly, right? But the problem is, is that a lot of people, like, you know, I've always said video games are about teaching. You know, video games are teaching devices and they teach you how to do things, right? So let's talk, let's, you know, let's let's continue to use like our Rayman and Origins example, right? Like the last secret level, the land of the livid dead, okay? Like you can you can look this up on YouTube and you can see how hard that level is. Like it's a super hard level, Right. It's characteristically very, very suffer-some level, okay? There was a lot of dying. Yeah. That's for sure. And um, so here's the thing. It's like, well, whenever you're teaching a player something, right? Because what, you're, what the game is teaching you in that level is that it's, it's teaching you how to play the level and how to jump and you know, basically how to orchestrate your movements to get to the end. It's teaching you something. I'd like to think that there's no teaching happening at the last level. No, you're still learning. Because you have to learn how to get through. I mean, you haven't learned. You well, learn the basic. It's not learning, like, it's not teaching you how to jump in general. It's teaching you how to jump in that particular context. Okay. So, however, yeah, like, yeah, in the strictest sense, yeah. learning exactly to do exactly what's necessary right, for that particular right. level. Certainly, what you're learning there is probably, like, the least generalizable to your other life exploits. Okay. You know, but you're still learning something. You're learning how to get through that tract of the game. So, the thing is, is that. Here's my problem, okay? Here's my problem with people who um, 
I want to really, really carefully draw this distinction with people who encourage or say that they like super duper hard games or games that have suffering in them or the games should have suffering in them. Um, there's a lot of ways to learn things, right? Anytime there is something that you have to learn, there are you know a myriad of ways that you can go about learning that thing, right? You can learn things the easy way, and or you can learn things the hard way. And it's funny. It's funny that we're talking about. Was this, there right? an easy way in the Rayman example? Well, or in any of the others that have no, 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 not not there wasn't, but there can be. And and let me t- let me explain to you what I mean by that. You can you can teach the player the same things, and you can teach the player mastery, and you can give them an environment to master whatever it is that they have to do. And you can accomplish that in a several different ways, all of which have varying levels of suffering. You don't always need to go to the most punishing level of failure in order to drive the point home or to teach the player what to do. And my problem with um, games that exploit suffering or, or utilize suffering to, to an unnecessary degree is that what you're doing is like, well, you're teaching them, but you're asking the player to basically like climb a larger hill than maybe they're willing to climb. You know, I, I think that the best games uh, teach players things, but do it in a way that it's accessible enough that we, we bring, you know, we don't bring just the best players that have that are the most resilient under pressure to accomplishment. We actually bring the most number of players to accomplishment. And this doesn't mean that you bring everybody up by giving everybody the gold star. What it means is that you give them a, a place to uh, practice and improve in a way where the penalties are not too punishing. Because if the problem is that when there's too much suffering and when there's too much punishment you actually you will lose your player. They will give up. You, that's the worst thing you want to do. And you don't know, you know, it doesn't mean that you go to the other end and give everybody the gold star. It doesn't mean that you auto, you know, you give everybody so much health that they'll be able to get past the level because then they're not learning as much, right? But there's a middle ground. You don't have to go through all the way to the other extreme either, you know? Just because there are some games like Demon Souls or Dark Souls or Battletoads, like Battletoads is like the perfect example. You know, um, I mean, Battletoads just asks way too much from players. It's just ridiculous. You know, you, you die, you lose your game. You have to start all the way over at the beginning. You know, even though it t- it'll take might take like hours and hours of practice just to get to like level five or something. Right. And it's just pure, like straight up memorization. Right. The other thing that's bad about suffering in games is that a lot of times when you penalize the player in ways that make them suffer, it's things that you didn't give them enough of a hint about. Right. Like, you can – my biggest pet peeve, and, and a lot of people also feel this way, um, but maybe they haven't thought about it to this degree, is that, like, you don't – games games that involve basically strict trial and error are, I think, the really the worst kinds of learning games because humans are incredibly adaptable, right? We can learn under the most crappy situations, under the harshest conditions if we're sufficiently motivated to, Right? And games that that use basically strict uh, trial and error, it's basically like, um, okay, I figured out what to do up to this point A, and now that I'm at point A, I have no idea what's going to come up, right? And then something comes up and kills me, right? Because I didn't expect it to happen, because I had no idea what was going to happen, right? Like every single thing I've learned about this game up until this point has not prepared me for this next challenge, right? And so I don't know what it is. So I have to lose to it. To figure out what it does, and actually, like ironically, like several of the boss battles in um, in, in Rayman Origins are kind of like this, and you learned that the hard way too. The the whole, at least that last level, the yeah. entire game is that way. Yeah, and and it's like you know, like humans are so resilient, we can we can figure it out. But just because we can figure it out and overcome it, it doesn't mean that's the best way for the game to teach it to us. Yeah, I mean, we've we've certainly talked about the idea of telegraphing. Yeah, and it's all about those kinds of things. Like, I really feel like a, a properly, you know, an ideally designed game, an action game, a skill game, um, will you, your job as a designer, as a developer, is to train the player to be prepared for their next challenge. You want to increase the challenge over time to demand more and more from them, right? But you also want to make sure that they're they're learning so that they're you're st- you're still preparing them, right? 
it's just like you were taking a class and you take a test before. It's like the teacher teaches you X, Y, and Z, and then you get the test, and the test is about A, B, and C. You know. So this guy who's talking about suffering, do you think that he's just confusing the term challenge with suffer? I think he's really – yeah, I, I do actually. I think he's conflating the two. I think that he's implying that you need – like just because you're suffering more, I don't think that that even necessarily results in a more satisfying result when you're finally able to surmount it. You know, I've been – I've played lots of games where it's been so hard that by the time I got to finish whatever that challenge was, I'm actually – I don't feel rewarded. Sometimes you feel very rewarded when it's really hard, and sometimes you don't, right? And there's, there's, there's a missing variable there, right? And it's like, that's, the missing variable is the way at which you arrived at the accomplishment. If you, because it's hard and suffersome does not always lead to a very satisfying success. That's, what, that's my story. All right. Well, I'm ready to uh, to close on that note. Yeah. Actually, like before we go, like if, if any of you listeners have had a situation like this, kind of relate to what we were talking about, please write in, call in, tell us about it. Yeah, tell us what games have made you suffer, or if you like suffering, or if you don't like suffering, if you agree, disagree, whatever. Yeah, for all the masochists out there, sure. Let us know. Anyway, we uh, we'll be back for us in about a week and a half, but for you, it'll just feel like a week went by. So that's great. Leave us an email. Leave us a voicemail. Whatever you want. Um, Tony, you're going to be back next week. Shout, Tony. We're out. Good night, guys. You've been listening to Chatterbox Video Game Radio. Tune in next week for more tips and info and the latest and greatest in video gaming. And remember, all your base are belong to us.